The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We welcome back our online listeners. We are starting in with a message called Problems, Problems, Problems. Remember, get to that file and download the PowerPoint because you're going to want to see the visuals connected with this presentation. I want to tell you about a brother of mine in uh, Nigeria. He, his name is Charles. He is um, a very sweet, dear brother. Um, a couple months ago, I got a communication from Charles, and he communicated with me what he does with our podcast. The little church that I pastor over here at Broadway Market is, you know, 20, 30 people. And if you walked into the church on an average Sunday, you'd say, wow, there's a lot going on here. We have 30,000 people that attend our church from that podcast. That'll mess with your mind. And so I don't view it as just you sitting here. I view this as Charles listening right now. Charles taking the podcast and playing it to his people on Sunday. Charles downloading the PowerPoints, rewriting the notes so that his pastors, which are 27 churches, can preach the following Sunday from those outlines that he got from the PowerPoint. And then telling his people, giving the people in these villages a challenge with the message. Now they're in the process of taking the online school, getting it in their language. I have a ministry in Brazil that is working with us. Now that the the uh, discipleship manual has been completed, he is making it available in Spanish so that his 700 pastors he's responsible for there can start using the materials. And I said, I won't do it unless it's free. This has to be given to the people free. If they want printed copies, we're going to have to charge them for cost, maybe. But it has to be free. That's what we want to do. And Satan knows it, so he wants to create problems. To, start a blo- to try to block the ministry that God is doing in every Christian's life. So there are, there's stuff going on in your life that is seriously working. And I don't know if you, that illustration works for you guys or not about the negotiation team for Satan and his old little Oval Office thing there. They're very organized. Satan was the first perfectionist. Everything had order. Everything has a place. He's like the little kid that if you move a pencil in his room, he throws a fit. Satan is exactly the same way. If something's moved in his domain, he pitches a fit. He's a perfectionist. A perfectionist demands perfection externally in order to get rid of internal guilt. That's what a perfectionist is. So he, he is orderly. His demons do what they're told to do. Or they crush each other. 
Obedience is a requirement in the demonic world. It's not a suggestion as it is in the Christian world. And they're organizing ways and approaches and we can go to movies and see it in movies and go, yeah, wow, man, I never really thought about it like that. You know, like Left Behind series. Or wow, Lord, I never... But if some preacher stands up and says, you, you know, Satan's organized. And his followers have no option but to obey. We, we kind of bucket a little bit. Well, go ahead and bucket because what you're going to find is pretty profoundly simple and that is to get you distracted is a very easy thing for the enemy. And I want to show you how he does this. Here's our purpose statement. Online people, we're on the workbook on page 68. Problems, problems 100. Key truth is this, into all Christians need problems. God allows problems or trials in our lives to bring us to the end of our self-life or to an issue which we are being selfish. God has a purpose for all conflict and difficulties for it is certain to lead us to the inward life of Christ. Keep in mind in your workbooks, this is already printed out for you. Keep in mind that I am feeding you with a fire hose, and Monday you should start this workbook. That's why it's in your hands. I would get a copy of those PowerPoint slides if you're not going to get a copy of the discipleship manual because these little notes on the side of the page is what we want you as a discipler to to know and to hear. Our key verse is Romans 8.28, For we know that all things work together for the good. Well, if I was emergent, that's where I'd stop. Emergent leaders give you pieces of truth because they don't want you to have the full truth because if you had the full truth, it would bring them confusion. God said this, And we are supposed to know, it should be common sense for us to know that God causes, causes, appoints is another Greek word. Appoints. Read the book of Jonah and and count how many times the word appoint is used in Jonah. For God appointed the vicious winds. God appointed the boat to destruct. God appointed the tree to grow up overnight. God appointed. See, everything is in an appointment of God. Everything. And if you don't believe that, then you'll fight sovereignty. He causes all things to work together for the good, and it doesn't stop there. There's not even a comma for Pete's sake. To those who God, God. And who are called according to his higher purpose. How do I know if someone is bringing proclamation of confirmation of their salvation? If they're functioning in their higher calling. 
You cannot turn off an indwelt believer. It can't be done. I don't care if they're 7, 17, 70, or 170. You cannot shut off Christ's life inside of a true indwelt Christian. You can't do it. There's no demon that can come up against that. They are scared to death of the life of Christ. They back up at an indwelt believer's life. And when they're not, a question does have to be asked. Are you or are you not a true indwelt believer? Is, are we giving God back to God? Or are we being selfish? And making God all about me. And this calling, what is that all about? Do you know how many ministries that are out there today, folks, that are according to the individual Christian's purpose? I've heard about ministries of deliverance, casting demons out of people. Not in the Bible. The ministry of music... Not in the Bible, the ministry of, of helping old folks. I guess that's us. Not in the Bible. There is one ministry mentioned in the Bible. Someone please tell me what that ministry is. Only one. The ministry of reconciliation and Ben Lee got that. And then God took him home. And I said in my private time with the Lord, I said, Lord, well done for that young man. He got it. And now his family needs to get it. And then his friends need to get it. But he got it. If you can discover this higher calling, his his purpose, and you get that, you're going home. Your mission is done. God may choose to keep you around for the next 40 years. I don't know. But it's over. That's all it was for. The Ministry of Reconciliation. When you ask someone to go back to someone that they have either had twisted love or hate toward to reconcile with them, and they won't do it, What's your conclusion? The verse actually says, As I have forgiven you, therefore forgive them. How do you expect me to forgive you if you don't forgive them? An indelible Christian refusing to go reconcile with someone is showing evidence of either their level of selfishness or that they're not actually an indelible Christian. You should be overwhelmed with the ministry of reconciliation. Getting people together, getting them reconciled. Here's how this works. This is one of my favorite diagrams. The funnel on the left, top line it says world, Satan, and flesh. This is, first of all, an unbeliever running right toward the birthing canal of the cross. And they don't even realize it. 
God is actually causing the world, causing the flesh, causing the devil to squeeze on this person. And the Holy Spirit standing behind this person going, no backing up. No backing up. No backing up. And as in a woman's body, which is given to us to explain the gospel of the cross, there is a movement within her body that will not allow the baby to stay in there and say, I don't want to go into this cruel world. It's evil and demonic. I just don't want to come out. The baby has to come out and the system of her body is designed in such a way, a little at a time, until that baby and that mother go through the worst hell they're going to get on, on this side of heaven. The pain of childbirth. One of the three consequences given to Eve. Which women don't have to go through anymore because they can abort children or birth control. Whatever they want to do to avoid that number three. Which eliminates number two, which is training them up as a mother. Which leaves one left. One consequence of a woman left behind. What is it? She was given three. Birthing, raising up kids. What was the third one? Yet all your desires shall be unto your husband. So what's the enemy done sitting around their little strategic table? Let's eliminate marriage. In fact, let's eliminate women. Let's eliminate men. Let's develop a transvestite society. In fact, let's just, and this is coming out of a senator's mouth, a very close friend of mine, senator's mouth, said, we are this close to eliminating the institution of marriage. It's going to be gone. For sure, within five years. There you got it. It's gone. All three of her consequences gone. Now, what about the consequences that was given to Adam? Everything you do shall be brought forth by the sweat of your brow. It's not going to change. Not a thing you can do about it. What else was he given? Cursed is the ground because of your sin. It's not a thing men can do about that. You can deny, act like you are absolutely stupid. And you will not change the fact that there is sin inside that dirt. And it's going to have to be torched to deal with it. Talk to a farmer. They'll tell you how much sin is in soil. And how much we got to do to try to get some life out of it. All of these things we're trying to change and God's trying to use them. If you get the leader saved, his whole house will fall like dominoes. Did he not say that? You and your household shall be saved. You say, how come there are few scriptures addressed to women? That's not God's focal point. You and your household shall be saved. Well, the feminists, Christian feminists, are so upset at this, they are transforming old translations to be in favor of the woman. As in my last magazine article that some of you probably read, NIV has a contract with PETA. They're going to write an animal neutral translation by 2015 
NIV. You see, Satan doesn't like this diagram because new birth will happen. God causes the devil. God causes the world. God causes your flesh to be used to birth you through either the cross for salvation or the cross for coming to the end of yourself. Once we go through the cross, yet still rather difficult, like with a baby, but as that child begins to grow in the Lord, the life in Christ helps them become freer and freer and freer and freer. And what once used to bother them no longer bothers them because they have a mature wisdom that is a mystery, as Paul said, of Christ in you. So the more you're walking this way, you are literally living out the principles of the great mystery of Christ in you. Whereas the person on that end coming in, they think you're talking Russian or something. Life of Christ in you. So no wonder the Muslims are afraid of us, because we're actually saying that Issa, the living God, we're calling God, lives inside every mortal Christian. And the imam said to me, You're trying to tell me that Allah lives inside you. I said, exactly. But we don't call him Allah. We call them the God of Abraham. You want to arouse a Muslim leader, say that. Because they're both claiming the same God. Isaac and Ishmael. Now God needs all these horrible things to stay right where they're at. So he uses the positive and the negative. The scriptures, the job changes, the physical health problems, the loss of possessions, a good Christian friends or lack of them. He uses all things to lead us to the pathway of the cross. So that Christ's life can be the one doing it through you. And the only thing that wears you out in self-effort is to be worn out because of self-effort. It's the only thing that works. So why wouldn't he wear us out to release Christ? We normally throw these roadblocks in place. Change the routine, read your Bible a little more. I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray. Maybe get involved in a prayer ministry. You like, use these external things to get you motivated, like drinking a cup of coffee, which some of you need right now. Or run around the block or something. You see, that's what we do, is we use these external things to revive us, get us excited. Until that program becomes boring, or it didn't work, or I tried that. Or I had one guy say to me about Exchange Life a few months ago. He says, I've tried that. You tried Christ in you? Last week, I had one of my interns say to me, I am this close to making a decision that will completely change my life. I said, well, what do you mean by that? 
So he told me a few details. I said, are you talking about denying Christ? He couldn't get it out of his mouth. But he nodded his head. I said, do you realize what you just confessed to me? There is no indwelt believer that could even get to that point. It's impossible. To make a conscious decision that I will deny Christ if I don't get my way? That's a bad place to be. But oftentimes when we throw all these obstacles in place, it does make us feel good for a few days or a few hours or a few years. But God is causing all things together, remember, and working them to His purpose. He's bending that arrow again to start taking a downward cycle to bringing that person to the cross again. So that these elements of coming to the end yourself are engaged in from the Christ life within. That is, see God in what is happening. Let God be God. I'm not God. Thank God in what is happening. Do you realize if you're praying and you don't have a thankful heart, just shut your mouth. Just stop praying. I am, I am a little shaken by the scriptures of mandate that comes with praying. If you do not pray with a thankful heart, hang it up. That's what the scriptures say. It is a sin not to pray with a thankful heart. But yet we do it all day long. We complain and moan and complain and moan like the people in the wilderness. And God has got to fix their sandals. He's got to fix their manna. He's got to fix their... He's just constantly dealing with their complaints. And guess what? They're not going into the Jordan. But God's a God of love and grace. And He does fix those things. But it's the bare minimum. To keep that in wanting going. It sounds like such a defeatist message, but it is the victorious Christian message. It's to be brought to the point of being thankful in all things. For Janie's testimony to be reduced down to the simplicity of, well, are you thankful for this? No, actually, Lord, I'm not. Well, thank you, Stephen, for your honesty. When you get that Thanksgiving thing going, come back and talk to me. Because lack of Thanksgiving is disrespect. It's like a parent spending eight years of this young man's life taking care of him, and the, and the eight-year-old looks at him like, you know, can I like get a new mom? I'm like done with you. And all this investment that you have put into this child to grow them up and yet unto the Lord are sticking it to you, which means everything I invested in you is worthless. And we're just supposed to ignore that? If you don't have a thankful heart, you're not getting much in life. I know that. Janie knows that. Other friends in and out of the ministry, we know that. If you just don't come back with a thankful heart, I knew clear well when I left here last night upset about this computer and I go home and 
I go to sleep, I wake up, I knew God was going to deal with me. I told my wife I'm walking this morning. And so I start walking, and what does God do? He is all over me with these simple little one-liners. By the time I showed up for Shannon to get some, uh, some juice to get the engine going, his caramel mocks are out of this world. Unbelievable. My daughter even said a few minutes ago, you know, is Shannon going to be willing to take a break later so he can make my coffee? <laughs> I shall sell advertisement for Broadway Market here in Sterling. That's just right down there. Yeah. Oh, you'll be getting a bill. Yeah, another caramel macchiato. Turns out to be a caramel that macchiatos me. Yes, energized bunny, as Jane calls it. So, <clears throat> I love... Conflict. I'm not afraid of it in discipleship. I'm not afraid of it in my marriage. I'm not afraid of it in my life. I don't like conflict with selfishness, not when I do it or someone else does it, because it does get a little bit out of hand. Problems are needed to get to there. And it's interesting to me that God waits until the heart is thankful. I would think that Thanksgiving would happen on the other side of the cross. But that is not true. Just said to Janie one of the last times that Jane spanked her, which was about three or four days ago. (laughs) She came back to Janie and she said, Mommy, you need to spank me again. Because it didn't hurt. You, some of you have had kids like that. You're going to have to really get into this, Dad, if you want to get this job done. It's like the kid's trying to say to us, you need to wake up a little bit here. If you're going to get control of this little rebellious soul, you better do a better job. How blessed is a parent hearing their child say that kind of stuff? You're actually going to be easier on them. Because they get it. You see, all they need to do is get it. And you can mold them, train them, move them anywhere you want to go in life. That is the case with Jess. It is easy to move them and change them and adjust them and go with that flow. Because they're asking to be disciplined. When needed. It's all God's hunting for. People of the yes. God said he is a God of the yes. This is out of Matthew 5.37. This is a real meaty diagram that we use in this discipleship process because God is a God of the yes. Jesus is the son of the yes. The Holy Spirit is of the yes. And we as the bride of Christ, the people of God, are to be a people of the yes. He speaks, yes. He speaks, yes. He speaks, yes. And the more yeses we say, the farther away we get from a lifestyle of unrighteousness. But if we say, no, he's still okay with that. Because children who look right at you and go, no, read my lips. No, I hate you. 
Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything above and beyond this is of evil. I don't know about you folks, but I can deal with someone who says no to me. I can still direct their lives. But see, someone who looks you in the face and simply does a Christian lie to you and says, okay, I'll pray about that. Well, how long are you going to pray about it? How long does God need to talk to you? It's almost humorous to me. Well, exactly how much time does he need here? Because if you're wondering, he actually wrote it out for us. He kept his own mandate out of Habakkuk. He wrote it down. Because he knew you and I were going to make excuses about the yes or the no. We're going to try to turn the gospel into an emergent evil. Where humans have a part in the decision of absolute truths. So exactly how long of time do you need to hear him? Or is there a different confession that I need to hear today? And all you have to say is, I don't hear God. Okay, we can deal with that. I'll teach you, I'll show you how to hear God. I used to make fun of people that wrote books like Jesus is Calling. I'm like, yeah, you really hear God. Well, I have a journal that is tight pages as at least that thick of hearing God. I have diagrams of God saying, pick up your pencil, Stephen. Allow me to illustrate this, son. And I start drawing. I step back and I have a board in my office and that's where it usually starts. And I go, you've got to be kidding me. Because see, I'm a little bit on the duh side. If God doesn't draw it out for me, I'm not going to get it. I love Hebrew. I love pictorial Hebrew. Because it's for children. This is the house. This is a house on fire. This means repentance. Oh, I get that. Let's torch that old thing. That's the Hebrew definition of repentance. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything above and beyond this is of evil. If you have a child, a person, a spouse, a friend, or whoever that is staring you right in the face and they're giving you the Christian yes, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to run from you 10 minutes after I'm away from you. I'm going to forget about this by the time I get to the second door in your office. I'm not doing this. I'm agreeing on the outside, but I'm going to sit down on the inside and go, I'm not going to do this. That, my dear friends, in Christ is evil. They mix yes in with no. So you can't hold them down. You can't pin them down. You can't say, is that a yes or is that a no? Well, I got to pray about it. Okay, well, you can't tell someone not to pray, right? So you're like, okay, go pray about it. If God wants you not to commit adultery. Sounds funny, doesn't it? 
I had that two weeks ago. I had another couple in my office that the two of them were having an affair. They both sent their, they're from the medical industry, they both sent their spouses on a medical, to a medical conference in Philadelphia. They both prayed that the plane would crash so that they could legally get married to each other. I'm in my office hearing this story, and I just simply looked at this couple, and they were happy people. This was a happy adultery. And I just simply looked at him and I said, are you trying to tell me that you would kill, murder 668 other people on that plane so you guys can play around with each other? Is this what I'm hearing? You're guilty of the sin of David. That's how simple it is. It's ridiculous, isn't it? But see, our flesh has no reason and logic to it. And no, God didn't consider what they were doing any different than what David did. It is the same sin, but that is mixing yes and no. And now what's happening to the church? We're mixing other gods in. Ah, could you give me a little Buddha? Yeah, two cups. Good, good, good. That turns it a nice little color. Someone want to taste this? I'm not tasting it. You're stirring away and someone says, Hey, can you give me a little bit of Allah? I need about two quarts of Allah. You're mixing away and someone brings the two quarts. You're like, Oh, that woke things up. Lots of law in there. That's good. Very good. Now, is anyone... uh, And that's what we do to the church now. It's like... The church has become America, the great meltdown of cultures. Is the church supposed to surprise us that it's following the American pathways? No. I heard this by the hearing of my own ears from Hillary Clinton. She said, all of my politics comes from the church. I was there when they adopted female pastors. I was there when the church adopted abortion. I was there when the church adopted homosexual pastors. I was there and she went down this long list and those were all her issues in politics. I said, you know, I can't vote for that lady. But she's telling the truth. She's honest. At least about that. Because it's true. The church trains up these people and then these people go off into these whatever their occupations are going to be and they bring their church environment into that environment. And now we literally have a church that is no different than the government. You don't need to separate it anymore. They're the same. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.